Last week we began this series entitled Rise and Pray. And if you notice the last words in this particular portion, in that last sentence there in verse 46, the last thing Jesus is saying to them here, when he sees them sleeping, he tells them to rise and to pray. And just to reiterate a couple of things that we talked about because I started this series entitled It Is Time to Pray. It is that our Savior truly is an example of prayer. He is one who was given to prayer. While others were resting, he was praying. We know that Jesus used to rise early before anyone else was there, and he was praying. We know that one night is recorded that he prayed all night long before he chose his disciples. And so while others were resting, he was praying. While others were feasting, he was fasting. We know that our Savior fasted for 40 days before he entered into ministry. While others were sorrowfully soaking in sleep, he was sorrowfully surrendering in prayer. We find this clearly in this portion of scripture. It tells us here in verse 45 why the disciples were sleeping. They weren't just sleeping because they were tired. They were sleeping because their hearts were broken. They were sleeping because Jesus had told them that his time had come. And just as he was going through the sorrow of soul, they were experiencing some things as well. You've got to remember it says that he went just a stone's throw away from them. Therefore, what it, what it instructs us and leaves us to understand is that his disciples could see the agony that he was in. When you look at the book of Mark and it tells us that Jesus fell on his face. When you read it in the Greek, it literally means that he fell. It wasn't like he just went down, you know, like calmly, no. But he was so overtaken by the sorrow of the things that were going on inside of him that he couldn't even stand. This is some serious sorrow. And he fell down and he continued to pray and he's walking, going through this sorrow of soul. He is broken. He is going and crying out to the Father. And we see here clearly in the book of Luke that obviously the prayer was necessary because of what? An angel comes and ministers to him. Ministers what to him? Comfort? That's not what the Bible said. This wasn't a time for Jesus to be comforted. This was a time for Jesus to be strengthened because what he needed was strength in order to endure this cross, in order to go through the, the, the drinking the cup of the wrath of God that he was about to drink. And I want to say something as I'm at this point here because last week I said something. I want to quote myself. I said, if Jesus didn't pray, he would have fell into temptation. And I said, and what's that? And it is that I'm not going to fulfill the destiny. And what I want to clarify is, is that that could imply that Jesus could have sinned through disobedience. That was no way, no shape or form my intention. I was not trying to say anything like that. What I was trying to do and will continue to try to do is to emphasize the necessity of prayer and how Jesus needed to pray and this whole prayer was part of him making it to the cross. This was not some fake prayer that he was just doing just so that way we could read something in, in Scripture and be like, wow, that was a powerful, moving prayer. No, this is something Jesus needed. Again, let me point it out. The angel came to strengthen him. He needed strength. He was in sorrow of soul. He was broken. He was hurting before God. This, this cup of God's wrath was coming. Listen, you got to remember, for the first time ever, Jesus is looking at being separated from the Father. Hear me now. This is the only portion in the Gospels, any only portion in the Scripture where Jesus ever says anything like, you know, your will and my will. He never says that anywhere else. He never communicates that. There was never a struggle. There was never anything going on. He was there struggling, going through it. And as an example unto his disciples, as an example unto them, he is showing them this and he communicates to them, you need to pray. 
You need to pray lest you fall into temptation. Lest you fall into temptation. As we dealt with the scriptures last week, we understood that prayer is not an optional discipline. It is a required discipline. Prayer is not simply a casual conversation with your friend God. It is the greatest privilege that we have been given, as well the most important responsibility. And we must realize how important that conversation is. See, it's, it's not simply a conversation, but it is the most important conversation. See, you can talk to whoever you want, but the one that you need to make sure you're talking to is God Almighty. You, you, you can have conversation with friends, family. You can have conversation with smart people. You can have conversation with experienced folks. You can have conversation with educated people. You can have conversation with counselors and psychologists and all of that. But hear me now. We need to make sure that we are having conversation with God. And not casual conversation alone. Casual conversation is not going to bring us to the fullness where God wants us to come. It's just not going to happen. The the, the reality is this, that a person who is devoted to prayer is a person who understands they cannot do anything apart from Jesus. It is a person who truly believes what the book of John chapter 15 says when Jesus says that I am the vine, you are the branches. And he goes on to say, you can do nothing apart from me. Because we realize that it is in prayer, it is in the time that we come before God in prayer, that we surrender everything unto him. And we're going to talk about the, 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 the point of us being able to come before him and connecting with him and surrendering all and yielding why prayer is so important. The truth is that when we fully understand the power of prayer, it will become a priority in our lives. Prayer is not a priority because you don't understand his power. So, what, what, what am I going to do, especially, especially us? And, and you know what? I would say men, but it's not even true because some women as well, especially for us that like to get stuff done, fix stuff. You know, prayer is like one of those things that we don't even understand because we want to just fix the problem. Did you hear me now? Yep. So for some of us, and I've heard people say this, prayer is almost a waste of time. Hear me? This is truth. You talk to people about prayer and they're like, yeah, well, you know, yeah, that's good, but, you know, I need to do something else. Time out. You need to pray. You need to seek God's face. You need to take out that time because that is not a waste of time. That is the greatest investment of your time. Because out of that prayer is where you are going to gain what it is that you need in order to accomplish his will and know what it is you're supposed to do. So it is important that we realize this. The first thing we repeated last week, can you repeat this after me? Say, every biblical move of God has always been preceded by prayer. We know that God speaks to us, and what should happen is he speaks to our spirit. He speaks to our spirit. See, the thing is this. We can sit here, and we can hear what is being said. That doesn't mean that it's going into our spirit, because we can be listening with just our ears and not hearing with our hearts. And when God speaks, he communicates to our spirit, and when he communicates to our spirit, then we got to go ahead and bring this through the filter of our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. We've got to decide to agree with what God is saying. Hear me? Now, listen, you got, you got, you got to see this, because this is what happens. God speaks to us. I know that's for me, but what happens? Why is it, what, what, what is it that happens between me hearing what I knew was God and me living what I know is God? 
What is the disconnection? Why is it that I can hear and know that is godly counsel, that is God's word, that is God's will, that is God's purpose, and yet there is a disconnect between me understanding and embracing it and me living it? It is because you have this filter called your soul. That's why the Bible says not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, right? The, the renewing of your soul, getting this in line with his word, his spirit. That's where we die, church, is right here in our soul. This is where the battle is won, in our soul, in our mind. When the Bible says that, you know, the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God, they're not carnal, but they're, you know, strong for the pulling down of strongholds and casting out of imaginations. In its context, what the Apostle Paul is praying or talking about is not prayer. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is strongholds in the minds of people. Because what happens is God speaks to us, we hear it, it comes and it lands into our spirit, we know it's right, and then all of a sudden we get to this filter of soul, okay, am I going to live this, it's too hard, we begin to make excuses, all of that stuff comes from where, not the Holy Spirit, it comes from our soul. And so we've got to make sure this word is getting through us because what happens is God speaks to us on the topic of prayer, the question is, how many of you went away from last week's service and increased in your prayer life? If you didn't, you need to repent before God because God is speaking to the church straight up. If something didn't change in your prayer life, then you were not hearing what God was saying and embracing it as being for you. That's just reality. If my prayer life didn't, and I will use me, I, I will use other people, no, but I will use me because I can only attest to myself. When the Holy Spirit began to speak to me regarding this prayer, my prayer life has begun to increase, has begun to change. I begin to sense a different conviction. I begin to understand this, and I'm not going to just be like, well, someone else can pray. No, I need to pray. So the question is, what do we do when we walk away from the word of God? Not just last week's message. Think about every other message that you've heard throughout this entire year. Think about everyone that you know that God was talking to you and you walked away. What did you do with it? God speaks to the spirit of, of or God speaks directly, not to the spirit, speaks directly to Abraham. What does Abraham immediately do? He doesn't question it. He starts to pray. Remember, prayer is a conversation, not a casual conversation, a serious conversation. He begins to pray, begins to talk to God about this city, Sodom. God is going to destroy the city. He begins to pray. Why? Because there is something he has in that city. It's called his nephew over there, Lot. He knows he's over there, so he's got to pray. He's like, wow, the wrath of God is coming to that place. The destruction is coming to that place. God, please. And he begins to pray. And as a result of his prayers, we see that Lot and his family, they were spared, right? They were, his wife decided she's going to look back because she's crazy. Okay? That wasn't God's desire. Don't look back. Keep going straight. That's what happens to a lot of us. We want to keep looking back. Then we get stuck. We wonder what's going on. God has given us a way of deliverance. Don't look back. Go forward. So we see Abraham responding to God. We see his disciples respond to God as well. Jesus is there with them. You know, they're talking after the resurrection and, you know, asking him, Jesus, you know, when is it time for this thing to be fulfilled? You need to wait in Jerusalem till you are endued with power. What did they do? Jesus went up to heaven. They went and started praying. He said, wait. That's what they did. They waited. Why? Because it spoke directly to their spirit. They began to apply it. They said, we got to respond to God. That's the bottom line. So this is what the word of God shows us. Like I said earlier, every historical revival has been traced back to a praying few. Hear what I said? Praying few. Unfortunately, not a praying multitude. A praying few. Read your history on revivals. You find praying few. You find people that were given to prayer. It wasn't the multitudes. Multitudes were experiencing blessing as a result of few people's prayers. 
But the fact of the matter is that we, us, I think we need to be those few that respond, not just for this church, but for the entire nation we live in. See, God wants to do something great. He needs a church that's going to pray. He needs a church that is really going to give themselves a prayer, not just pray prayers once in a while, no, 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 but a church that is really going to pray. When we look at these things, we find that there are people that are burdened, they're broken, and they're believing in prayer. That pattern will never change. People must be, must be broken, or they must be burdened by the word of God. The word of God must weigh down in their soul. When they see the word of God, something must go on inside of them that, is, that has them burdened. And I don't mean a burden in a bad way. There are bad burdens, and there are good burdens. Obviously, when you look at the Old Testament prophets, the scriptures communicate clearly, the burden of the Lord was upon them. That's not a bad burden. That is a good burden, and that burden was directly connected with what? The very word of God. And we see a wonderful example of what happened when that burden grips the right heart we see jeremiah that is known as this weeping prophet and he is doing what this burden is upon him and he is weeping over the condition of the people of god he is broken over that situation so now he's burdened by the word of god he's broken over the condition of his society and he is believing in prayer and that's the pattern burdened broken believing Burdened, broken, believing. So are you burdened? Are you broken? Are you believing? This is what I've been praying, and I ask you to pray this for me. I've been praying to God. I've said, God, give me tears for this nation. Give me tears because I pray loud, I pray long, but you know what I lack many times are the tears. I Listen, if there's one thing that Jason Quinones covets above anything, when I see brothers crying before the Lord, I'm like, God Almighty, give me tears. Give me tears over this nation. Give me tears over the condition of our society. Because to me, that is, the, that, that is, that is the, the Bible says that we are supposed to turn our joy into mourning, does it not? This is, what the, it, it, this is not what I'm saying. This is what the scriptures teach. So I feel like, God, I want, I want more of that burden. If I'll spend all, all my, I want to see that brokenness in my life over the condition of our nation because I realize this, that if we will have a people that are like that, we'll see a move of God. We will see a move of God. And so we have this pattern, not going to change. And we notice here that Jesus, he couldn't have endured the cross, remember? He needs to pray. Without prayer, wasn't going to happen, period. That's what I'm saying. Without prayer, he was not going to, he needed the strength. And again, don't, don't, don't get it twisted. I just corrected this. Listen to me. I don't think, and I, I want you to understand this. Jesus would have never missed prayer. Did you hear what I just said? He would have never missed prayer. He needed this. He would have never missed it. Our problem is we'll miss it. Our problem is, Jesus, when, when, when I'm saying, Jesus would have never missed that time. He knew what he needed. He knew it. So he cried out to the Father. The Father responds by what? Sending an angel to strengthen him. Period. When it says that he's in agony, he is in agony of soul. That's what that word, it's the Greek word agonia. And it simply, it means to wrestle for victory. That's what it means. This is what the word agony here means in the book of Luke. It means he wrestled. He's wrestling for a victory. He's wrestling like a, like, like a gymnast is wrestling. That's what he's going through. He is going through this birth and he's crying out. He wouldn't have missed that. He needed that strength, church. And you know what? In our lives, we need that strength. And we've got to learn not to miss prayer. And I'm not talking about a prayer meeting, man. I'm talking about a time with God. I'm talking about a time before him, with him, in intimacy with him, brokenness before him. I'm talking about a true surrendered heart before God Almighty. That's what I'm speaking of. 
Jesus exemplifies it. His disciples, you see the example. Jesus prays, completes everything God has called him to do, and then his disciples do what? Why would Jesus, why would Jesus even tell his disciples, pray, lest you fall into temptation? Why would he even tell them that? Because he's trying to tell them, if you pray, you won't fall into temptation. If you pray, you won't stumble. If you pray, you're not going to deny me. You're not going to flee. If you pray. This is what he's saying to them. So he's showing me his desire is not for that. We see in a, another important conversation. I'm not sure if it's in the book of Luke. I think it may be when he's talking to Peter and he says, Peter, Satan has desired you. He has desired to sift you. But I pray to the Father. You know why Jesus got to pray for him? Because he's not going to pray for himself. Hello? Because he's not going to pray for himself, what's going to happen? Well, the enemy's going to come at him hardcore. The enemy's going to come at him in a, in a way like he's never going to expect. And so you know what? The beauty of it is that we see this. We see that God limits what the devil can do in his life. Same thing for us. Glory to God. Thank God that Jesus is our intercessor. Amen? Amen. We find two different examples. We find the, his disciples who fall. They miss the time of prayer. They're falling asleep. There's sorrow leading them to cry and bawl. And they fall asleep on Jesus for these three hours that he is there broken in soul. And so they miss it. And what ends up happening? They miss the mark. They missed the mark. That's not what God wanted. Second thing, repeat after me, please. Prayer, Prayer. is majored on within the New Testament as being necessary. Prayer is majored on in the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, not the Old Testament, it's in there as well, but when you read the New Testament, when we look at what the Scriptures teach in the New Testament, the Bible majors on prayer. See, the thing is this, while it is important for us to major upon doctrinal soundness in preaching and teaching, it is important for us to major on our character as Christians, and it is important for us to test every spirit, we must also major on and practice the discipline of prayer. Because when we do that, you know what happens? When we begin to pray, and I'm going to say this, when we begin to pray in alignment with the scriptures, so I don't want you to, well, somebody asked me a long time ago, they said, you know, if you had to make a choice between reading the word and praying, which one would you choose? And the answer to the question is, I wouldn't choose either one, I'm going to do both. I can't, I can't do one without the other, hello? I'm not, and, and the reality is, if I'm reading my Bible and it's not bringing me to prayer, there's a problem. I'm reading it for my head, not for my heart. This is the truth. Because what happens is when you come before the word, I believe Lee Strobel, he was an atheist, and he was trying to go into the word to prove that it was wrong and that he was trying to disprove God. And you know what he is today? He's a powerful Christian. Glory to God. You know why? Because he came before this word, and this word is living. And when he started to read this word, the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon his life. And you know what it did? It brought him to a place of repentance. And I can promise you that although repentance is more than just prayer, prayer is part of repentance. It is when we acknowledge God. It is when we acknowledge that he is everything that he says. And so we find here that it is important because when I come before the word of God or when I come into prayer and I'm majoring on prayer in my life and I'm practicing prayer in my life, what happens is in that time of prayer, God is able to correct and align us with his word. So you know what that does? That corrects and aligns preaching and teaching. This is what happens in prayer. It shows us that when we are in prayer, you know what happens? That's when our character comes into alignment with his. And so you can try to be the best Christian that you want. If you're not praying, you're going to have problems. Even if you are praying, you're going to have issues. Hello. But you want to talk about issues? You're trying to be a Christian without prayer. It is impossible. 
to be a true Christian if you're not having a relationship where you're communing with your God. When we are in prayer, what it does is it develops our discernment. When we are in prayer, we grow in that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. I think I've told you this before. When I was sitting in church when I was younger in the Lord, I didn't know anything about um, eschatology, which is end-time prophecy, and when Jesus was coming or anything like that. I didn't know. I, I knew about it, but I wasn't like any, I, I didn't study it like I've studied it today. And I remember sitting in church, and this is no lie. I would be sitting in church, and someone would get up, and they would say something regarding that. And when they would speak about it, something inside of them would be like, man, that's not right. And I don't know what it was. I was just like, what they're saying is just not right. And then then slowly I began to understand something. As I began to study this, the first thing that I understood is that talking about Jesus' return is not some scare tactic to get people to the altar. Did you hear what I just said? It's not some scare tactic to get people to accept Jesus. No. It's supposed to be for the Christian, for the church. Now, 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 let's keep keep the statement balanced because your bishop right here, you want to know what was one of the major things that made me come to Jesus? I knew that if that rapture happened, I was staying here. I knew, I, I knew, I knew about the, the wrath of God that was going to come upon this earth. I understood that. I wasn't a Christian. It should be a fearful thing for me. When I'm sitting in a congregation, you know what we should be doing? We should be looking forward to the day of the Lord. We should be excited about the coming day of the Lord. We should be motivated by the coming. It should be something that, that is encouraging us because that's what the Apostle Paul utilized it for. He utilized it to encourage the people of God. He utilized it to keep them focused on the Lord, to keep them looking forward, not looking at their situations and getting caught up in that. But when I was sitting in church and they would use it as this scare tactic, it would come up like that. Something inside of them would be like, man, that's just not right. There's something wrong here. There's something that is not correct. And why is that? Because, man, I firmly believed in prayer. I firmly believed in coming before God. You know what God was doing? He was defining my discernment. He was developing my doctrine in me, not only through prayer, but I was also in the Word. And so we understand that. When we look at the New Testament again, it majors on these things. The New Testament gives us clear examples and makes emphatic declarations regarding our necessary devotion to prayer. We see it exemplified in Jesus. We see his disciples ask him to teach them to pray. Notice, his disciples don't say, Jesus, teach us how to teach. Jesus teaches how to evangelize. Jesus teaches how to preach. Jesus teaches how to do this. Jesus teaches. No, they didn't ask those things. What they asked him for, though, was, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. We've seen you in prayer. Now we want to learn to pray. The other leaders, the other leaders around, they taught their people how to pray. And so they came to Jesus, and Jesus does what? He teaches them how to pray. We see his disciples not only ask him how to pray, but we see it exempl- excuse me, exemplified in the church in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 32, you don't have to turn there right now. You can mark that and look at it. But that is when the apostles were being persecuted. They were being told to shut up about Jesus, to not talk about him anymore. And what does the scripture say? They came back to the church. They told the church everything that happened. They rejoiced because they were able to be persecuted because of the word of God. And then they did what? They began to pray. They began to pray. They began to pray, Father, you've heard what they're saying. You've heard what's going on out there. And so, God, we're coming to you in prayer before we make the next move. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says this, and this is the reason why I give you this scripture, is because the scripture says as a response to their prayer, the, 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 the place where they were was shaken. Now, can you imagine? Now, we were in communion earlier today, and we had a little power surge, right? And that, like, shook you, right? I know. I just played it off. I just stood there quiet, like, all right, Lord, what are we going to do here? But, you know, 
But that, that, that like, messed with you, right? Now, can you imagine if this whole place started shaking? Uh, who, who in here has ever been through an earthquake? Raise your hand you've been through an earthquake or a tremor. See, I've never been through nothing like that. I can only imagine what that is like to feel everything around you, and there is nothing you can do. So imagine this place, we're in prayer, and this place begins to shake uncontrollably. I mean, how do you think that that would move? I mean, that would be absolutely incredible. Now, listen, I'm not telling you to go and wait for the place to shake. That is not what I'm saying. That happened one time in the Bible, and I am going to say this. I could be wrong, but I don't know if it will ever happen again. But what I do know is this, is the point of that shaking was there for us to look at, but the reality of what happened when the shaking took place, they were filled with the power of God. That is what we need to look for. We see the scriptures talk about the tongues of fire that came in the day of Pentecost and sat upon each person, glory to God. Look, I'm not looking for tongues of fire. I want the power of God. I'm not looking for the manifestation of tongues. I'm looking for the power of God because the power of God is what is needed in order to do what? To evangelize this world. The power of God is what is needed in order to reach those who don't know him. And therefore, we are praying the same way they did. They prayed. They said, God, stretch forth your hand. Confirm your word with signs and wonders so that way we can go forward and preach your word boldly. That's what they said. And God was obviously impressed enough with their heart wasn't about the words coming out of their mouth. He was moved enough by their, by their heart condition that they were not cowering in the face of opposition, but they were saying, God, we'll die, whatever, but give us the power to preach your word holy, to preach your word completely. That was their passion. And God responds and shakes the place where they're at. And the truth of the matter is that when we look at this, Jesus declares, and we're going to talk about this either next week or the following week, but Jesus declares that his house is to be a house of prayer. He makes this statement. His house should be a house of prayer. Makes it clear. His disciples and all of the apostles took this seriously. And how do they do so? When you read in the epistles, and we're going to look at all of these scriptures, and we're going to have them popping up here on the screen for you so you don't have to turn your pages and look down. You can look up and read them with me here. But God, through the apostles, calls the church to a devotion to prayer. Are we ready? Thank you. The first scripture that we look at and we find in the book of Romans chapter 12, and this is the apostle Paul speaking, he's giving a whole breakdown of things. He's talking about all of the stuff that the church should do. He starts out in this portion in, in the beginning of it, and he, in, in this portion of scripture, and he's dealing with the gifts of the spirit, and then after he deals with the gifts of the spirit, then he goes on and he says, let love be without hypocrisy, and he tells you to abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, and he goes down this list, and when he comes to this point here, he's giving some instructions for Christians, I encourage you to read it, but he says here, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. This is Christian behavior. We are supposed to be continuing steadfastly in prayer. The next scripture is in the book of Colossians chapter, chapter um, 1, I believe there, chapter, chapter 4, I'm sorry, and verse, and verse oh no, I'm sorry, Ephesians, we'll go to Ephesians, that's good, we can talk about prayer there, it talks about it there too, glory to God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, it says praying always. Now, now, now this is what I want you to get for a moment. You know what precedes this, right? What precedes this, this call to prayer is the putting on of the armor of God. And so what God is showing us is that, you know what, you need to put on this armor so you can do this. 
So you can be able to, so you and I can pray, we need to have this full armor of God. And again, this is not some cosmic thing that happens. This is really, and bottom line, putting on Jesus in all of these areas. But he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And so what does he say? He's saying, church, be suited up in the armor of God so that way you can be given to prayer, not just any prayer, supplication, not just supplication, but prayer in the spirit. And now I think we go to Colossians, correct? Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2, the apostle Paul clearly says, continue earnestly in prayer. In another translation, it says, devote yourselves to prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. And so again, we see the command continuing for the church. That's you and I. We should be given to prayer. It's something that must be happening in our lives. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 8 and verse 12. And and, and it talks about Epaphras, giving us a great example, who is one of you, okay, so he's he's one of these Christians there, a bondservant from Collis, obviously, a bondservant servant greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all of the will of God this is the heart of another brother in Christ who is praying he is laboring he is laboring in prayer he's laboring for them he knows them can I ask you a question do you labor in prayer for your brothers and sisters do you labor in prayer for them that they will be able to know what the will of God is. That is the labor pain, especially for leaders. Hello, somebody. We are to be laboring in prayer over our brothers and sisters, that they would stand perfect and be complete in all of the will of God. The next portion of Scripture is the book of Colossians, chapter 5, verse 15 to 18. And it says here, see that no one, y'all probably can't read that in the back. I know, glory to God. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for others. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Okay? We're talking about the will of God. Well, what is the will? Well, this is a list of the things that are the will of God, that we would not render evil for evil, that we would pursue what is good, that we would rejoice always, that we would, that's the will of God, pray without ceasing, that in everything we would give thanks. Pretty clear. The apostles are making it clear for us that this is the will of God. And the last scripture that we'll go to is the book of Jude. Keep on skipping screw. No, I'm sorry. We, we, we can go to the next one. That, 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 was, that was the second half. I'm sorry. It says here, um, Jude, hallelujah. Jude has one chapter, verse 20 and verse 21. It says, but you, beloved, speaking of the church, building yourself up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And so he says what? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Us, church. I just want to put a little parenthesis here for a moment. When we talk about praying in the Holy Spirit, he's speaking in general. He says, but you beloved, right? When he says, but you beloved, he's talking to everybody. That is a general communication. To you beloved, it's like me saying, to you faith don't. That's it. I'm talking to everyone. I'm not speaking to individuals. He says here, building yourself up on the most holy faith, on the most holy faith. Therefore, that is what we're supposed to be doing, all of us, building ourselves up on the most holy faith. So we do that in our relationship, in the word of God, meditating, understanding who God is. But then he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. And so when we're talking about praying in the Holy Spirit, is he saying everybody should speak in tongues? 
Obviously, that would make no sense because the Apostle Paul asked a rhetorical question in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, are all apostles, are all prophets? Do all speak with tongues? Do all work miracles? And it's rhetorical because he's saying, no, not everybody's a prophet. Not everybody's going to speak in tongues. So then what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? What it means to be praying as being led by the Spirit. The Spirit makes intercession for us. When we don't know what to pray, he prays for us. He will lead us in prayer. To pray in the Spirit means that we pray according to the Spirit's inspiration. If you get the news link and you get one per family today because I ran out of ink back there. So make sure you get it and you sit down and you can share the article and you will see what it means to pray in the spirit. It's not simply saying to pray in tongues. That is one form of praying in the spirit, but that is not the only form of praying in the spirit. And so he communicates to the church. He says that we need to pray in the spirit. And so there are still some, even after all of these scriptures, there are some who will argue that prayer is not a commandment. All right, you stay over there with your non-commandment. Hallelujah. The fact of the matter is, without prayer, the church remains powerless and carnal. Without prayer? Listen to me. If you're reading the word of God with the wrong heart, you want to know what happens is you become religious. You become well-versed in what the Bible says, and you become a Pharisee. If you're reading the word of God with the wrong heart, you're just trying to add knowledge. The Bible clearly tells us that knowledge does what? Puffs up. Love builds up. So you can read this word, and you can understand what this Bible says, and you can let people know that what they're wrong there, they're right there, whatever. You can show them the way. and all. But you know what? The fact of the matter is, without prayer, you're going to be powerless. If Jesus had to pray, I think we'd do. Amen? The fact is, this is the fact. You cannot come before the word of God with the right heart and not become broken and brought before his throne room of grace with humble supplication. If you come before this word with the right heart, it's going to bring you to that place of brokenness. It may not happen overnight. It may not happen every single time, but I've told you stories where I've sat down and I'm reading the word of God and tears are rolling down my face and I don't even know what's going on. The Holy Spirit is just dealing with me. Why? Because it is his word that is living. It is word that is moving in my life. And so it is important for us to understand this word is living. And if we're coming unto this word with the right heart, our hearts are going to be transformed. And we're going to be brought into this place of prayer. The third thing, please repeat this after me. Prayer Prayer. is one of the most difficult disciplines to maintain. Yet, one of the most rewarding. And I say one of the most rewarding for controversial sake, but in my opinion, it is the most rewarding. Because you know what? When it comes to prayer and you see God move as a result of prayer, guess what? You had nothing to do with it. To know that he did it all, to know that he moved, that is amazing. To know that I could have partnered with him and I could have been in intimacy with him and and walked in this relationship in prayer. To know that, that is amazing. What we find here about prayer is that Jesus' prayer shows us that real, life-changing, destiny-aligning prayer is not easy, nor should it be. While all prayers prayed may not be this desperate and broken, in general, our prayers must be offered by fire. What do you mean, Bishop? Let me explain to you what I mean. And it's funny because this morning by accident, it was one of those Bible roulette things. Hello. I just opened my Bible and it was just there like in front of my face. Because I knew the Old Testament said something that was pretty amazing. I mean, the New Testament says something. When you look in the book of Revelation and it shows this bowl in heaven and all of this smoke that is rising, and the Bible says that those are the prayers of the saints, right? I was like, wow, that's pretty incredible. 
And then I went to the and, and I went to the Old Testament by accident this morning. You know, when I didn't go there by accident. I was turning to the book of Psalms and I opened to Psalm 141. And when I looked there, David says, Let my prayer come before you as incense. Oh, glory to God. You know what I understand about incense? Incense doesn't come up without fire. Incense that we're talking about, that smoke is because of fire. So where do you get this fire from? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us that our God is a consuming fire. And so he becomes the fire of our prayers. He becomes the one that is consuming our lives in prayer. He becomes the fire that is causing. When you, when you see Elijah, you remember Elijah when he goes on the top of Mount Carmel and he's there with the prophets of Baal and he's like, look, y'all go ahead and make, you know, take your sacrifice, do whatever you're going to do with it. And they're over here dancing around, cutting themselves, making all kind of noise. And he's like, what's the matter? Is your God sleeping? Is he deaf? I mean, where, where, where's he? Maybe he's on vacation. I'm throwing that in there. I don't know if that's there. So, and, you know, he, 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 was just, he was mocking them 100%, right? So as he is mocking them and he's going through that, then he goes and tells them, all right, now I want you to go and get this water. I want you to dump this water on top of this altar, on top of this sacrifice. The Bible says they put so much water that even the, the, the thing around it, like the moat or whatever, that it was filled with water. You know what the Bible says? This is what the Bible says. The Bible says he called on God and God manifested in fire. You know what they say? They say that there was nothing left there, but I have to disagree. Bishop, you disagree with the word? Not that way. Hello. There was nothing left there but the glory of God. What was left behind was the glory of God. Why? Because at that point, he turns around and he says to them, hey, how long are you going to falter between two opinions? You saw what God did. Give him glory for what he did. Give him glory for what he did. Give him honor for what he did, right? Turn. Stop doing this. Then they go and they kill these prophets. So what happens? God is this consuming fire. Church, when we offer prayer, it's got to come with fire. And he is the source of that fire. Not, it's not a fake fire. It's not a false fire. It's not, a, it's not an emotional stirring and churning and trying to, nah, man, that, 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 that right there, look. Let me, tell you, let, 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 let me explain something to you. One of the things that I hate the most, I hate the accusations that come against people because they, you know, they're, they're, they're too emotional for certain groups. And they're like, oh, you know, these people are just emotional and they're just working people up into a frenzy and this and that and blah, blah, blah. You know what? I hate that. But you know what the fact is? In some situations, it's true. Because we want people to respond so much that we just do everything we can within our power. Did you hear me? Everything we can do in our power and our ability and our motivational skills to be able to make people respond a certain way. That's one of the things that I never want to do a faith tone. That's one of the things that I never want to have to depend on because you know what? That's false fire. That's not the real deal. It's when it comes from a heart that is before God that God is consuming. That God is consuming as we're in his word. That God is consuming as we are walking throughout our lives saying, God, I don't want to be desensitized to this world. I don't want to be desensitized. I was talking to my wife. We were talking about the word, and I was telling her that the Bible says that in these latter days, Jesus is speaking of these latter days, and he says that because sin will abound, that the love of many will wax cold. The love of many will wax cold. You know what that means? That means a whole lot of stuff, but one of the things that it means really is that when you look at the, 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 the love of many waxing cold, it means that it's going to grow cold. It means that our hearts are going to become cold because what happens is we become desensitized because we see so much sin it doesn't bother us. We see so much sin, it doesn't hurt us. I, I, my wife was reading an article yesterday 
You know, we talk about soldiers and, and this, and, I, and I'm not saying that war is sin. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is this, is that war is only because there's sin in the world. Hello. That's the bottom line because, of you know, whatever the reasons are, if sin was not in the world, there would not be war. Therefore, we would have no military forces, all that kind of stuff. That wouldn't be necessary, right? But look at this. My wife is reading this article yesterday, and as she's reading this article, it's talking about these soldiers, and it's, you, and, 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 it's, and it's soldiers that have been, you know, exposed to, like, bombs that have blown up. Talking about the soldiers in Iraq. You know, bombs that have blown up. People that have ended up on fire. People who their faces, listen to me now, faces have been totally consumed. Noses totally gone. It talks about the reconstructive surgery that has to take place in these people's lives. And you look at this, and when, when, you, look at, when, when you look at the, you know, this situation, you see, the, you see the before picture when this person, you know, enrolled in the military. And then you see afterwards. Why do I say this? Because you know what? Most of us don't even appreciate what these soldiers do. But understanding the sacrifice they make, it should move us. I tell you, my wife, glory to God, I don't talk about her very often, but she's, she's crying while she's reading this article. And she's reading it. I'm like, babe, all right, I'm, I need to walk away because I'm going to start crying. It's going to get all crazy right now. But the fact of the matter is, when we look at sin, when you see people that are about to go through divorce, how does that affect you? When you see people who are struggling in an identity crisis, how does that affect you? When you see people that are bound in poverty, whether it is in the natural or in their mind, how does that affect you? Does it move you at all? Or is it just like, well, hey, man, that's just life. That's just how it is. That's how it's going to be, and it's okay. We can't let our love wax cold. We can't allow our hearts to become desensitized because then we walk around like nothing matters. Prayer, prayer is supposed to change us. It is supposed to move us. And it is supposed to open the windows of heaven in our lives, our homes, our cities, and our world. Prayer is where, is where our most fierce battles are won. It is where our deepest concerns are addressed. And it is where our flesh is defeated and our greatest death occurs. In prayer is where this happens. In prayer, when we're seeking God, it is there that all of these things occur. We're going through battles, we need to get into prayer. We're going through hardship, get into prayer. We have issues going on in our life that need to be addressed, get into prayer. We're going through struggles with our flesh. We're going through struggles with our weaknesses. We're going to get into prayer. It is in that place, church, that we see this glorious exchange between our will and the will of the Father. It is in prayer that we come before the Father and we're like, okay, God, we want your will, not our will. And it is in that prayer time that, we, that, that those decisions are solidified. It is in that prayer time that the brokenness will come on our lives and then we are empowered by his spirit to do what to go from hearing what he says to living what he says this is what happens when we are a people who are truly given to prayer truly a people given to prayer i want to close with this scripture and it is in the book of ezekiel and you can turn there please because i want you to know that prayer is not only about you Because I don't want you to get lost in yourself here and just thinking about how prayer benefits you and benefits your life and opens the windows over you. But there's something greater in this. The book of Ezekiel, please, chapter 22 and verse 30.
Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. When you got to say so, please. And this is God speaking. He said, so I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, see, that's a horrible therefore. If God would have found what he was looking for, he wouldn't have done that. But he found none. So I, 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 want, I, want, I want this to be personal for you. Has he found you? Has he found you? When he talks about being a person to make, to, to make up the wall, or to stand in the gap. He's talking about a twofold thing here. He's talking about a man or a woman who is willing to stand before God on behalf of the people and represent God unto the people. See, one of the greatest issues of our day is that we are great at standing before the people as representatives of God, but we lack in standing before God as representatives of the people. You want to see power that's going to change nations? It's going to come from men and women who are coming before the Lord and building up that wall of prayer, who are building up that place of prayer in their individual lives and who are uniting with other Christians, whether it is in the natural, in the same building, whether it is in the spirit, because there are many Christians throughout this, throughout this land that are praying continually, that are seeking God's face because they realize that the only hope for our nation is in God. So my prayer is that he will find us. And he would find each and every one of us as those who say, God, I need you. Not just for me, but for the nation in which I live. So I stand to our feet, please.